To a world in turmoil comes a woman of wisdom and power. Her symbol is a torch. She calls down lightning to strike against the forces of evil. Yet, on the brink of victory, the villain escapes into the path of an innocent. All seems lost until the innocent steps into the breach and with an unlikely weapon strikes the fatal blow that saves the world. It sounds like the plot of the next superhero movie, Wonder Woman 3 perhaps, or another instalment of Captain Marvel's adventures. But actually, that's a summary of the story we've just heard. The story of Deborah, Barak and Jael is not one we usually find in our children's Bibles. But given the current appetite for superheroes, maybe it should be. At the start of the passage we've just heard, and indeed at the start of every hero's story in the book of Judges, we hear the same refrain. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 7 and 12, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1. You get the picture. While a strong judge is alive, the Israelites can just about stay on the straight and narrow. But once the judge dies, the people go off the rails. They start worshipping other gods. They don't follow the Ten Commandments. It's each man and woman for themselves. As a result, they lose God's protection. The promised land is overrun by enemies again. They are oppressed and frightened, and each time, eventually, they remember. It doesn't have to be like this. And they cry out to God. This time, they're being oppressed by the violent rule of a Canaanite warlord, King Jabin. In the villages in the north of Israel, life has become all but impossible. The main roads are too dangerous to travel on, so the people sneak about on the side roads and hidden paths for safety. Despite this, it still takes 20 years before they cry out to the Lord for help. By now, the problem appears insurmountable. King Jabin's army, led by General Sisera, boasts the most advanced military equipment of the age, ironclad chariots, the tanks of their day. These fearsome weapons of war can simply ride over foot soldiers, raining down blows on the heads while Sisera's men are safely protected inside. Some people think they even had scythes attached to their wheels for added collateral damage. As for Sisera, he's not just famous for his 900 tanks. He's famous for pillaging conquered towns and villages, trafficking and raping the women. And this is the season when Israel's leading lawgiver, the only authority in the land, is a woman. Deborah arrives on the scene with no fanfare, no backstory, no lineage and this one description, wife of Lapidoth, which bears no relation to anyone. There's no Lapidoth mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But translation is a tricky thing. Hebrew, like German, uses the same word for man and husband 
And similarly, a single word means both woman and wife. Lapidoth could be a man's name, but it also means torches. So an equally possible but less conventional translation could be Deborah, prophetess, woman of torches, or female torchbearer, was judging Israel. Now that's quite interesting enough, but it's made even more so by the fact that the man she summons to fight the Canaanites is called Barak, which means lightning. And so perhaps there's a deliberate image being created here in the reader's minds of the torchbearer igniting the lightning. Now, we don't know much about Barak either. He comes from Naphtali, whose territory included the city of Hazor, where King Jabin ruled. So it would seem likely that Naphtali was bearing the brunt of the violence. But it sounds like he comes immediately at Deborah's summons to hear the message he has for him from God. Although he initially seems a slightly reluctant hero, he doesn't want to go to war on his own. We don't know if he's fearful of the enemy or doubts his own ability, or maybe he's remembering the old story of the battle against the Amalekites. The battle only went the Israelites' way while Moses was praying. Perhaps Deborah is for Barak what Moses was for the Israelites in the desert. He just wants the spiritual leader of the nation to come with him. But Barak needn't have worried. Deborah's reply is emphatic. Certainly I'll go, she says. That's definitely not an, oh, all right then. It might even have been more of a case of try and stop me. And then there's this funny phrase. Deborah says that a woman will have the honour of killing Sisera. Is she chiding Barak for wanting her to go with him? Or is she prophesying. Well, like I said, translation is tricky. Some versions have something like, because you won't go alone, a woman will have the honour of killing Sisera. Others say something like, notwithstanding your going, which means something more like, despite your going, the honour for killing Sisera is going to be a woman's. I'm going to choose to interpret this as a prophecy. I'll explain why later. And so, finally to battle, Barak and Deborah head north. And then the miracle happens. Swords against iron chariots shouldn't have had a chance. Barak and his 10,000 men should have been slaughtered. But for whatever reason, Sisera's chariots let him down. The lightning strikes. Sisera's army is routed. He abandons his chariot and takes to his heels. And so we come to the third and most unexpected hero in our story. Minding her own business in her tent in her husband's camp is a Kenite woman called Jael. Sisera, staggering away from the battle, staggers into Jael's tent. For some reason, he chooses her tent rather than her husband's, even though her husband is an ally. 
Sisera asks for refreshments. He asks to hide. He asks Jael, a woman, to stand guard for him, to risk her life for him. Much is made, mostly by men, of the honourable tradition of nomadic hospitality, which Jael, at a superficial reading, offends. But there is an honourable tradition for nomadic guests too, and Sisera is riding roughshod all over it. This is a desperate general, probably heavily armed, renowned for leaving a trail of pillage and rape behind him. If you were a lone woman, what would you do? Jael assesses the situation in an instant. She lets him in, fetches refreshments, even more than he's asked for. She covers him up with a blanket and watches him fall asleep. She doesn't have any weapons. She daren't wake him by calling for help. She picks up the only sharp thing she has to hand and the mallet she uses to make sure her tent is well pegged down. And with what can only be described as superhuman force, she drives the tent peg through his temple. She strikes a blow for women in fear of soldiers everywhere. She saves her honour. She saves the day. She saves the people of Israel. And the prophecy that Deborah made turns out to be not about herself, but Jael. Cometh the hour, cometh the woman. And in chapter 5, the whole story is told again in what some commentators think may be one of the oldest portions of the Old Testament. A song possibly dating right back to the events it celebrates. And from Deborah and Barak's perspective, it is completely clear that it is God's victory. Whoever did whatever on the ground It is all God's handiwork. This is why I think Deborah is prophesying to Barak, not chiding him earlier. They now rejoice together, praising God for the miraculous deliverance, the complete destruction of King Jabin. Their song tells of what happens when God's people start listening to him, working together, following God-called leaders. This is what happens when God hears the repentant cry of his suffering people. He raises heroes from the most unexpected places to deliver them. And these three were unexpected heroes. Deborah, a female national leader in a deep deeply patriarchal society, teaches the children of Israel the right way to live, like a mother teaching her little children. Barak, a man who seems unsure of himself and his calling, submits himself to God's guidance through a prophet. Jael, another woman, 
and a foreigner to boot, facing a mighty and abusive general all on her own, uses her cunning and guile to save herself and God's people, earning the title Most Blessed of Women. So where do we see ourselves in the tales of God's unexpected heroes? What tools and talents come to hand for us? Maybe like Deborah, Barak and Jael, we may find that what we or others think disqualifies us actually becomes the way God chooses to use us in his kingdom plans. Because where we are broken, where we know we aren't clever enough, strong enough, wise enough, brave enough. That's where we know we need a saviour. That's where God steps into the breach to do the impossible. He chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong, and he sacrificed his own son to save the sinful. To a world in turmoil came a man in humility and love. Many flocked to him. Many loved him. No one could ignore him. Yet, just as his followers were starting to realise who he really was, The evil one, in the form of an unholy alliance of vested interests and a powerful empire, struck a devastating blow. All seemed lost, until, three days later, the innocent man stepped out of the tomb and the world was never the same again. Now his followers are spread across the globe and although they are fallible, argumentative and by and large not at all naturally heroic, they are sure of one thing. God has done the impossible and made us his friends. I have called you friends, said Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these. So the words of Deborah and Barak as they close their victory song are both a challenge and a call to confidence in our God. Let those who love you, O Lord, Be like the sun as it rises in its might. We can all be heroes if we trust in him. Thank you, Jesus.